Oh, it's tough to move on from that. We don't move on, but uh, tough to transition from that. If you have a Bible, however, please turn. First Timothy chapter four, or a Bible app. First Timothy chapter four. We are finishing our three-part series on what's called the spiritual discipline. These are means of fellowship, means of communion with God. We began two weeks ago with the vital importance of regular intake of God's Word from Psalm 19. We saw last week the importance of prayer from Matthew 6 and took time to pray together, which was wonderful. This week, my title is Feasting, Fasting, and Fellowship. I don't normally mention titles because I'm not creative with titles, but this title might help you follow where I'm going. Feasting, Fasting, and Fellowship. Alan's going to read our passage for us. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. <coughs> if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is, some, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise to the present life and also to the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this we toil and strive, because we have our hope set in the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. My summary of those 10 verses is as follows. Enjoy God's good gifts as you pursue the gain of godliness. Enjoy God's good gifts as you pursue, as you earnestly pursue the gain of godliness. Let's see that in two parts. First, enjoy God's good gifts. Enjoy God's good gifts. Gift. The Apostle Paul here writes to his sidekick, Timothy, that people will, he says, depart from the faith. They ultimately do so because they are not true believers. They are not genuine. So they fall away for two reasons. They embrace the false teaching that has demonic origin and their consciences are seared, cauterized, literally. And then he tells us what that false teaching will entail in verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, who forbid, these false teachers, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food. So, so there it is. It's forbidding marriage and forbidding certain foods. It's a false teaching of a legalistic asceticism, you might say. A legalistic asceticism. Prohibiting good things for spiritual merit, supposedly. Kids, kids, how many of you like pizza? 
Anybody? I see a couple hands over here. No other pizza fans? Yeah. Kids, what if I said to you, God will love you more if you never eat pizza? Would that be okay? That would not be okay. Thank you. <laughs> that would not be okay for multiple reasons. But most of all, because it is a false gospel. That is what I am describing here. I think that's what we see here as a kind of legalistic asceticism. It is a false gospel, a false, a false good news, you might say. When the true good news involves us, God involves God saving us, as Martin Luther put it, by, quote, an extraneous righteousness by an external righteousness. One, he says, that does not, listen, does not originate in ourselves, but a righteousness that comes to us from beyond ourselves, from outside of ourselves. That's the good news. But, did not Jesus say things like, take up your cross, in effect, die to yourself, and follow me. Did not the Apostle Paul write elsewhere? Set your minds on things that are above, not, not on things that are on earth. Those could be interpreted as some kind of call to asceticism, could they not? But we feel a kind of tension here at times in the Christian life. A tension, I think, captured by two hymns, both of which we sing here. One hymn goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So the things of earth growing dim for us. But we also sing this is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. So which is it? Are the things of earth supposed to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer for us? Or is this our father's world and he's revealing himself through it? Well, I think the answer is both and, but you feel the tension, I hope, that I'm talking about. And verses 4 and 5 in front of you help resolve that tension. Look at verse 4. Here's the answer. Verse 4. For everything, everything the apostle says created by God is, notice, it's good. So here is the first answer, the first part of the answer. See creation's goodness. Everything created by God, he says, is good. He is drawing on Genesis 1 and the steady drumbeat where God creates and says it's good. God creates and says it's good. God creates everything and says it's very good. He's Adam by himself and says it's not good, not good at all. <laughs> Ordains marriage, Genesis 2. Now, yes, human sin has marred God's good creation, but the apostle is saying there's still goodness in what God has made. He gave us, think about it, taste buds so we can enjoy what we eat. He allowed us to have Chicago-style deep dish pizza and freshly roasted Pete's coffee. He gave us 
grapes and grain with the ability to ferment, to make a fine wine or a San Diego craft beer. See God's the crea uh, creation's goodness. And then secondly, he's going to tell us, employ gratitude. Look at how the verse continues. Everything created by God is good and nothing. Nothing, underline, <laughs> underline nothing. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, with gratitude, with gratefulness. For it is made holy, it is sanctified, it is set apart by the word of God and prayer. So don't reject any of it if you can receive it with thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Because thanksgiving recognizes that the giver is good. And so brings him glory. Now, this does not mean thanking God as you take mind-altering drugs. <laughs> this is not thanking God for alcoholic beverages and then drinking to excess. This is not thanking God for extramarital sex. It's not thanking God as you buy whatever you want, whenever you want, regardless of whether you need it or not, in wanton consumerism. So apply the whole counsel of God, as always, right? Apply the whole counsel of God. We're not talking about illegal substances, gluttony, drunkenness, and, and there definitely is a place for sacrificial financial giving into gospel ministry. But you can sanctify, you can set apart, as it were, all of life legitimately as you receive God's good gifts with gratitude. I love how G.K. Chesterton put it. He said, quote, you say grace, you say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the play and the opera. And grace before I open a book. And grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing. And grace before I dip the pen in the ink. That's 1 Corinthians 10 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So sanctify all of life this way, friends. If it's an illegal substance, gluttony, drunkenness, if you do not give sacrificially to eternal things, then repentance is in order. But otherwise, Look, you can buy that car that you enjoy driving to the glory of God. You don't feel guilty about that. You can buy that steak that you want to eat to the glory of God. My wife went to Fraser Farms this week and bought the ahi tuna steaks, and we seared them and enjoyed them, I think, to the glory of God. You can go to a nice restaurant as your budget allows on your date night and not feel guilty to the glory of God. Enjoy God's good gifts. But having seen that, now see where the apostle goes next. And I just love keeping this together. Enjoy God's good gifts. Secondly, pursue the gain of godliness. Pursue the gain of godliness. And we should really say earnestly pursue the gain of godliness. The apostle next tells Timothy, 
be trained, be nourished by truth from God's word. And he explains verse 7. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself. Discipline yourself for what? For godliness. Now, what's godliness? I like how one writer described it as active reverence for God. Active reverence for God. Attitudes and actions born out of love for God. You see, we often try to make Christianity into mere external morality. What you do and not do. Tell me how to live, as it were. But the gospel first and foremost changes who you are. Certainly tells you how to live. But it transforms why you do what you do. It produces love for God, this good news. Joy in Jesus, this good news. Filling us with awe and wonder and reverence for God, which then gets lived out in real ways. That's godliness, or godlikeness, you might say. And so we're told in verse 7, train, discipline yourself to this end for godliness. And this word train implies effort. It implies hard work. It implies exertion. It's actually the word from which we get our English word gymnasium, a place where you might exercise. And the word train here is in the form of an imperative. That means God is giving us a command. We're commanded to pursue spiritual effort in the Christian life. Are you aware of that? Now we're not talking about legalistic asceticism. So keep verses 1 through 5 in mind. That's why I wanted to begin there. We're not talking about achieving spiritual merit. We're talking about pursuing spiritual growth. There's a world of difference between those two. And so God gives us a comparison to help us. He compares physical exercise with spiritual exercise in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It begins, for while bodily training, physical exercise, while bodily training is of some value or, or literally slight or little value, I am, I am one of those weird people who likes to exercise physically. Um, so does Joshua, so does Marshall. He's not so much. <laughs> I love it. He's a great man. I just find that it helps me physically as well as, I think, mentally and emotionally. And God says here, okay, but yeah, bodily training has a slight value. Probably thinking particularly of value in this life. But look how the verse continues. Godliness is of value in every way. Notice, as it holds promise for what? For the present life? and also, also the life to come. So godliness promises benefits now that echo into eternity. 24-hour fitness can't bring that to you. The YMCA can't promise you that, but godliness does. So we're told, train ourselves, spiritually exercise ourselves for godliness. Because of the game. Think of it like what Olympic athletes do. They do something called altitude training. They go to places like Colorado, where they train in air that has less oxygen content. 
They put their bodies under the stress of that environment with less oxygen to become more efficient in how they process oxygen so that when they go back home, let's say they go back to sea level, now they're stronger and faster and have more endurance. Well, this training for godliness is like, it's like altitude training for the soul. It's strengthening your soul in ways that wouldn't happen left to yourself necessarily. It's that intentionality God is calling us to here. So that when you go back to sea level, when you go back to the rest of life, you have more of that active awe and reverence for God. More of those attitudes and actions born out of love for God. You're able to care for your children with a little more patience and grace and love. You're able to respond to your spouse if they're sinning against you and move toward them in ministry, not sinful anger. Or in that work situation that's stressing you out or that trial you're facing, you're able to respond with greater godliness, greater Christ-likeness, maybe bearing a little more fruit of the Spirit because you've been in spiritual altitude training outside of that situation. So godliness has, has gained He's saying, for the present life, and verse 8 says, <coughs> also for the life to come. Now, I looked pretty hard, and I didn't find anyone commenting definitively on what that means or looks like, the gain of godliness in the life to come. I thought about how Jesus spoke of the reward of people who pray and fast and give in secret without show. Because our Father who sees in secret rewards us. He says, store up reward in, in heaven. So maybe that's part of the promise of godliness echoing, to, echoing into eternity, the reward. Maybe it's also an increased assurance and longing that you're going to get there. I think 2 Peter 1 speaks to that. Perhaps, perhaps it's even greater enjoyment of the heavenly splendor to come, perhaps your capacity to enjoy heavenly splendor is increased. I'm not sure. But what is clear is that godliness has benefits now that echo into eternity. And so God tells us, train yourselves for godliness. So you should ask, okay, Tab, how do you do that? What does that look like? How do we train ourselves for this gain of Godliness. Well, kids, remember two weeks ago we talked about the spiritual disciplines, and in introducing this, I said these are the roadways in which God's grace, God's help drives. Remember that? These are the pathways, these are the pipelines in which God's grace, God's power, God's help flow predictably into our lives. We talked about the intake of scripture. We talked about prayer. And I want to add one more particular spiritual discipline, the discipline of fellowship. Of fellowship. Of sharing in Christ together. If you've ever met with me for a, just a spiritual challenge uh, area that you were challenged by and wanting help, 
I probably exhorted you to pursue the big three. It's like we used to have the big three automakers. Anybody remember that? The big three automakers? Some of you do, before Tesla and everything else. Thank you. <laughs> the big three automakers. Well, think of this as the big three means of grace. Scripture, prayer, and fellowship. But when someone is struggling, like I do, with sin and temptation, we need to bring God's word to bear. We need to pray for the Spirit's power and, and pursue <coughs> ongoing help from God's people. That's why I call those the big three means of grace. Think about it with me. Why belong to a local church as a member? Why? Well, one big reason is we watch over each other, we help each other, and we root each other on to the finish line. That's fellowship. The Christian life is a team sport in a real sense. When a teammate is not doing well, we don't shun them, we seek to help them. Hey, let's make it to the end together. The challenge for us right now is, like Rick so aptly put it, this pandemic it requires isolation physically in a lot of ways. You isolate for safety, that's important. So in our home groups, our home groups are meeting outside. We ask you to socially distance yourself. We ask you to wear a face covering before and after the service because we tend to not distance real well because we love each other. We want you very, very, very much to be safe, but at the same time, you need to be careful that you do not develop habits of spiritual isolation. That's our danger right now, isn't it? Spiritual isolation. You need, friends, regular life-giving connections with others in the local church. Let me give you an example. From last night, we had our elders and wives gathering, meeting together. We met outside, distanced ourselves under heaters and blankets. And the agenda was pretty simple. I asked where are you rejoicing right now? Where are you enjoying God's grace? We want to rejoice with you. And then secondly, where are you struggling right now? What's hard for you in life, ministry, or marriage? Where can we care for you? Let's bear each other's burdens. And we did that for hours. It was so sweet. Sung and I went home so encouraged and built up by those dear friends. Friends, I want to ask you, who's doing that for you? Who knows your current joys and your current challenges? Who's, who's up to date in a regular way? What you're encouraged about? Where you need help? Where you're struggling? Where you're tempted? Where you're discouraged? Who knows? And who's helping? This is why we have a structure we call home group. Just a structure to facilitate fellowship. And attending does not, <laughs> attending does not guarantee you'll experience fellowship. Fellowship is like an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's all there for you, but you gotta bring your plate up to the salad bar and scoop stuff on. 
Fellowship in the church is like that. It's all around you. You've got all-you-can-eat fellowship all around you. But you got to bring your life to others and open up your life others so you can scoop some fellowship onto your plate. It's all you can eat. We've got plenty around us available. We need each other. We also have men's, women's Bible studies to this end. And if for some reason those don't work for you, look, find some regular connection with godly friends, okay? Find some regular connection with godly friends who will care for you and ask you uncomfortable questions out of love. We train ourselves with these big three, scripture, prayer, and fellowship for godliness. And I just want to hit one more very, very briefly. One more. The discipline of fasting. Now, I would not put this in the big three, but it's one that we as elders would like to incorporate into church life, and that's why I quickly insert it here. And I have to be honest with you, this has not been a discipline that I have been practicing for quite some time. But fasting in Scripture is another way of saying to God, I need you. Consider 2 Chronicles 20, when facing opposing armies, it says King Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast. And proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. He was saying, I need you, we need you, help! Jesus anticipated his followers would fast. In Luke 5, he was asked why his disciples don't fast. He said, look, the days will come when the bridegroom, that's Jesus, is taken away. And then, and then they will fast. And the early church did. Acts 13, the church in Antioch, it says, quote, we're worshiping the Lord and fasting. Very fascinating phrase. Worshiping the Lord and fasting. I think I'm hungry. That's not worship. No, they were worshiping the Lord with fasting. And then the Holy Spirit says, send out Barnabas and Saul, later Paul. So it says, quote, after fasting and praying. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. In other words, fasting is another expression of dependence on God. It could be a meal or meals that you fast for the purpose of godliness. Use that time to pray, perhaps. You just say, God, I want to hunger for you more. It could be you fast from social media for a while. For the purpose of godliness. Now look, that might be a good thing for some of us to do could be you fast from something else. If you fill in the blank, I mention it because we'd like to take the first Wednesday of each month tied in with the corporate prayer meeting that happens on Wednesdays, the first Wednesday of each month to fast <coughs> in some capacity right where you are. Now, it is completely voluntary, completely voluntary. I just want to do a little bit of teaching before we start reminding you of that. The impetus is simply to say all the more, we need you, Lord. Work in us and through us. We need more of you. Now, all of that, fellowship, fasting, scripture, and prayer, is just application of the command of verse 7. Train yourself. Train yourself for Godness. I read a book a while back about the Roosevelt administration in World War II and the sacrifices people made in the United States during World War II. Gasoline was rationed to no more than five gallons a week. And they didn't have Priuses. They didn't have, they didn't have a hybrid. 
five gallons you get for the week. Limits were put on how much meat, butter, canned vegetables, sugar, and shoes you could have. You could not get new tires for your car. But the New York Times reported, quote, it is believed that people will accept the sacrifice once the facts are laid before them. If you're thinking, now these spiritual disciplines sound like a little bit of sacrifice, let me lay the facts before you. Gain. Godliness holds promise for the present life and the life to come. You will grow. You will know God better. You will become more like God. You will enjoy Jesus all the more. You will gain now with benefits echoing into eternity. And all of this, friends, all of this, because as, as the Apostle ends this section, because we've set our hope on the living God, verse 10. All this because we've set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, not all without exception, but all without distinction, especially of those who believe. <coughs> all of this because of so great a hope we have in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to end enjoying that hope by taking the Lord's Supper together. And with the service, please prepare to serve us. And Rick, please come as well. We seek growth. We enjoy good gifts. All because of Jesus Christ. We have our eyes open to creation's goodness. We glorify God with thanksgiving because of what Jesus Christ has done in us, for us. And we seek to train ourselves for godliness because he is transforming us right now. So let's pray and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. We want to set our hope on the living God. We want to rejoice all the more in this good news. We want to hope only in that extrinsic righteousness, as Luther put it. Righteousness that comes from outside of us. As we pursue knowing and enjoying you all the more. So we thank you for this privilege. Use, we pray, use the bread and the cup increase our hope and to fuel our joy right now. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.